Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into a new edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. We're bringing episode two of this week to you one day earlier because there's some breaking news coming your way out of the Nittany Lions recruiting class yet again here in April. It is capping off a very busy month for Penn State with two new commitments in a matter of minutes on Wednesday afternoon. We have all the content up on lines247.com. We're going to jump into it right now. Uh, Penn State finds its quarterback in the class. They also land a top-ranked kicker in the class and suddenly at 10 commitments on the cycle. And Sean, we, we talked about this coming into the month, which feels like a long, long time ago. But where was Penn State going to find that momentum? What kind of a factor might the Landon Tangwall commitment in late March play? Here we are, seven commitments in a 20-day span, looking back to Jalen Reed climbing on board April 9th. Here we are recording April 30th, the last day of the month. And all of a sudden, uh, this class has come together in a big way, and, and they did address a key position, the position that you always look to handle earlier as, than later. They've done it with Christian Veyu. Oh, I thought you were talking about the kicker there. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they also, you almost lost count. I see that uh, seven commits in a month. I had to double-check myself. Uh, quite quite an effort uh, from the staff this month. Uh, yeah, it's a long time from complaining about uh about not being there, and now all of a sudden you look at the class, and it seems like it's it's about halfway full. So uh, get the get the kicker, get the get get the quarterback, and and you're sitting in pretty good shape because you've got a couple of spots left to fill. But uh, yeah, the 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 Christian Veyu one, it, it was coming for a while. It, it you know kind of that Clemson offer kind of made him tap the brakes a little bit. But Penn State's always felt they were in a pretty good standing, and you know he went back home to Canada for the the quarantine, and and all of a sudden you know it, it, it's looking really good. So. Uh, a big decision for him, a big piece of the uh, the puzzle coming together, and and can't overlook the kicker either. I mean, I know he's a lefty, and I know he's a kicker, but he's still a person, and we're going to talk about him uh, a little bit later. <laughs> yeah, with Veyu, the the final four that he put out there earlier this month, Clemson, who as you mentioned, uh, put an offer in within days of that final four. LSU had also offered; they were not part of that group, but Duke, Tennessee, Penn State. As we all know, he did not make any visits in between then and now, but he did get to campus early February, that first weekend of February, which is when you think about the last time Penn State had a, a significant recruiting event, it was kind of that first weekend of February for some of these guys, including some of these commitments, and Christian was among them. He had a chance to do something that not a lot of quarterbacks have done with Penn State so far, and that's sit down with the new offensive coordinator, Kirk Shiraka. Uh, we talked about this on the podcast shortly thereafter. A funny story that we'll probably be talking about for a while with Christian Veyu is you know, coming to campus, he sat down and watched Penn State film 
but he's watching the Penn State defense struggle to figure out how to handle Tanner Morgan and the Minnesota passing game last November, and uh, that's what Kirk Shiraka is kind of going off of right now because he doesn't have spring practice film to, to show anybody. Uh, he doesn't have any Penn State stuff uh, at this point, but uh, it's just part of the story. An interesting background for this kid. We'll get to the Canada stuff in a minute because I think it's worth noting what Penn State has accomplished up there. But long story short, you're getting a six foot three and a half. 200 pound quarterback, a guy who, you know, uh, based on those measurements is, is already going to be uh, one of the bigger, uh, more impressive physical specimens in your quarterback room as soon as he gets to campus. And a guy who, for as long as I can remember on this beat, has been kind of knocking on the door with Penn State. I remember hearing from Victor Tadondo with Gridiron Academy up in Canada you know, three years ago at least about this kid coming into high school and looking for a fit on the American prep scene and, and just hearing that he was a name to know up there in Ottawa. And you think, okay, yeah, what does that mean? Here we are, you know, now he's a composite four-star. We already went over the offer list. It's pretty impressive. And now we're talking about Penn State's potential quarterback of the future. Yeah, that's uh, this is a guy that's been on, on the radar for a long time. Um, looking back, he, he camped in, in 2018 in June. And, you know, uh, that's... I think I think the year before was the first time I saw him on the radar, but uh, yeah, he's been on the radar for a long time. Actually, looking over that, Lonnie White was was there that day too. Um, but uh, it's it's been a long road. Uh, it, some of these Canadian kids, that's the way it is. They you know they identify them as prospects very young. I think back to um, the first time we saw Jonathan Sutherland on camp with uh, Luigi Villain and and Patrice Rene. I mean, just as freshmen, I think Sutherland was an eighth grader at that point. So these guys are on the radar for a while. They figure out where they're going to go. Uh, of course, Sutherland went to Episcopal down in Virginia. Veyu went to Canisius in Buffalo, which is not, not all that far from his home, obviously. Um, and then to the Bullis School, Cam Brown, Dwayne Haskins, those guys have been through there at, at, at Bullis. So um, it's it's been quite a journey. It feels like he's been on you know, the, the radar forever, but uh, this is one that sort of came about last summer. He came to camp. Uh, you know, he he. he tested extremely well. I mean, just this is, you look at the kid, um, you don't think he's a tremendous athlete. Um, does it show up on tape? Maybe not as well as he tested, you know, four, six, seven in the 40 for them at camp last year, a shuttle in the four twos, which you wouldn't think of his change of direction and, you know, good broad and all that kind of stuff. So um, he had a lot of uh, positive physical traits that maybe didn't pop. And then all of a sudden you see him um, at camp, you see him throwing and, he, you know, he's right up there with the other guys, if not better. He was at the whiteout camp uh, this year, along with Micah Bowens, along with some other uh, pretty decent quarterbacks. So um, you like what you saw from him there. Um, he's obviously been back to campus several times to compete. Um, and and really, it's just one of those things where you, you, you read the tea leaves. I've been saying for a long, long time, even with Caleb Williams visiting, even with Caleb Williams on the board, that you was always your most likely quarterback in this class. Uh, Garrett Nussmeyer visited a couple of times. Still seemed like Vayu was the guy that was going to keep coming back. He had access to Penn State. He was able to, to get up here for a game in November, came back, uh, was going to, uh, I believe was going to visit in January, push that back to the last possible date in February. And you're right, they haven't been able to host anybody outside of Brock Bowers since that time. So 
for for him to be able to to get familiar to stagger these visits in a way that uh, sort of makes him familiar with every facet of the program from Ricky Ronnie to Kirk Shiraka that that was a big deal so um, to get him back on campus before this whole this whole mess happened I mean it's it, you can't say enough about how that uh, how much that mattered and even with uh, with Clemson offering of just a few weeks ago you know he was kind of sitting back and saying well you know after this dead period ends or if this dead period does end on May 31st like they're forecasting it too I do. I still want to see Clemson. I'm still interested in Duke, despite them taking another athlete that they consider a quarterback. And you know, I want to slow it down. But Penn State, uh, you know, has sort of been the constant throughout all of this. And and really, I think that's what it what it comes down to in the end for for Christian Veiu. Part of our coverage yesterday up on the site was Brian Doan weighing in with his scouting report, as he often does following these commitments. He referred to Christian Veiu. As a pro-style quarterback, but made note that he is not a stationary quarterback and, and saying he really likes what he sees from Veyu moving around within the pocket, moving around buying time outside the pocket as a passer. Um, and as you said, when you watch the film, you're not necessarily seeing uh, you know someone churning out a bunch of rushing yards and, and a dual threat, uh, but you know, you... You can do a lot with this in an offensive scheme where you do want your quarterback to run. Kirk Shiraka uh, made it a point to say they plan to still execute running plays with their quarterback, have that part of their game, and he likes the athleticism in that room. Christian Veyu is not going to bring that level of athleticism uh, down in any way, shape, or form. And with Veyu, Sean, you know, kid who has certainly bounced around a bit, going to Canisius, uh, ending up at the Bullis School. He'll, he'll wrap up his career this fall at the Bullis School. Um, and whenever he does get to campus, this is going to continue a theme of Penn State acquiring some top-level talent from the, from the country of Canada. Uh, I've been saying for a long time, and was fortunate enough to go up there for, for a week to four different cities, uh, from Vancouver to Toronto to Montreal, and really got a sense of how on tap the potential is up there considering how close uh you know as the as the crow flies it is to a lot of college campuses especially in the big 10 just feel like it doesn't get enough attention and a lot of these kids have to take the route that christian veyu takes if you find a prep school in america you can't just show up to a public school it's not how that works um so in the past daniel joseph goes to a prep school in illinois luketa finds one in in pennsylvania sutherland goes to virginia and and now here is veyu Theo Johnson, an outlier a bit in terms of getting a lot of attention without leaving uh, Canada, but we've mentioned it's he can walk walk over to Detroit with pretty much with pretty much ease. And then Malik Mega, the top wide receiver out of Canada in the past class, uh, out of uh, Quebec, he is joining this program uh, upcoming. Theo Johnson's already on board, and it's the second consecutive recruiting cycle in which the Nittany Lions are set to sign the top ranked overall prospect out of Canada. You've got a special teams captain in Sutherland. You've got Jesse Lucchetta, who's played some uh, quite a bit of football through two years, battling to be your middle linebacker, maybe your quarterback of the future now, maybe your tight end of the future, and uh, just a tremendously promising wide receiver prospect now. Add that all up, and I've said this before, if things click for some of these guys, and now especially when we're talking about a quarterback, you've got a chance to turn a lot of heads uh, for an entire generation of young Canadian football players because, believe me, they pay attention to their own because those examples of Power 5 success stories are few and far between, which is why you know this past weekend when Neville Gallimore gets an opportunity in the NFL, you see Jesse Lucchetta swarming to that and congratulating him. These guys are a close-knit fraternity because uh, there's just not as many examples as if you're a kid growing up in New Jersey or even Pennsylvania, Florida, what have you, in the States where it's just more apparent each year 
who is getting those shots. Yeah, I mean, we we talked last year about uh, PPI from Europe coming over and checking out camps and, you know, Penn State being sort of one of those constant schools um, among those European prospects. It's kind of similar um, to to the Canadian guys because they're just, you know, they're, they're I would say few and far between the elite guys, at least, and and they all flock together. You mentioned Victor a little bit earlier um, at Gridiron Academy. They they just all kind of merge together, train together, do all that kind of stuff together, take visits together, and then eventually some of them end up at the same prep schools. Some of them end up going to the, the you know the similar uh, areas. And 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 a good thing for Penn State, we talk about all those you know Philly kids who are talking about going south. Uh, you know, Penn State's one of the few places uh, it, it, for that area that you can. Go south to Penn State, and it's you know it's it's actually it's a fairly convenient location. Whether you're Toronto or Ottawa, Malik Mega, uh, obviously from Montreal, um, it, it's fairly convenient if parents want to come see. It's it's a similar, I guess, uh, biodome to to uh, the southern part of Canada and everything. Um, so it's it, it's really uh, there's a lot of familiarity there with Penn State, and Penn State has made Canada a priority for, for ever ever since James Franklin was here, even even a little bit before that with Bill O'Brien. And they've opened things up. Um, I remember uh, watching a camp back in the O'Brien days with uh, with Brent Urban, who went to Virginia and now is in the NFL. Um, it's an easy camp for them to make. It's a good, uh, you know, sort of uh, stop on their tour and they can go on the way out. They can go on the way back and it, and it works out pretty well. So, um, you know, you've got uh, you've got a certain amount of schools that are convenient for these guys. You know, Syracuse is up there, you know, Michigan, Michigan State. You can do that as well. But uh, on the whole, Penn State offers a lot um, you know that uh, I guess a lot more for some of these guys. And, and, and it showed in the last couple of, uh, of cycles. And of course, going back to that first cycle with James Franklin in charge, they end up signing a quarterback out of Canada who, again, relocates to the States, IMG Academy, and, and Michael O'Connor. And pretty forgettable name in the grand scheme of things uh, if, if you're kind of a casual follower of Penn State's roster development because uh, the other quarterback in that class, Trace McSorley, uh, took the ball and ran with it after Hackenberg left. But uh, I think O'Connor ended up back completing his, uh, his, his college career very successfully at the Canadian college football level. Um, but, you know, just just another note there in terms of their connection uh, up north of the border. And by the way, I figured this out during the bye week in 2018 when my wife and I made a trip up to uh, Niagara Falls. I can get to Canada from State College quicker than I can get to my hometown in South Jersey. That was stunning to me, but that gives you a good indication of, you know, it's not that far out of the range for mom and dad. It, it's, it's, it's just not a huge, huge trip that you would think about if you're going from Canada to SEC country or something like and, that. And you so. don't have to go through Philly, which, you know, it's, it's everybody likes <laughs> yes. that in terms of traffic. Uh, Michael O'Connor, by the way, with the Toronto Argonauts right now in, in the CFL, it was, it was no slouch. I mean, he's just, you know, I mean, Trace was better. So really not much you can say about that one. So, but yeah, they've, they've hit that pipeline very hard. Uh, yeah, you're right. It's, it's not as far as you think it would be. And, you know, when you take a look at the pipeline of guys that, uh, that are produced, you look at, uh, you look at Toronto, you look at uh, Ottawa, there's a couple other cities up there and that's really where the main concentration is um theo johnson you know when he came onto the radar you heard canadian tight end and right away you you probably look in the area of ottawa or something like that windsor kind of an outlier in that talent producer um french canada uh malik mega up in montreal that's kind of an outlier as well so right in that little strip and it's not easy to get a ton of places from there because you've got the the great lakes but you know it's a nice little trip down to happy valley it's not that far and 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 really they they make it work and like i said you, you you're 
close enough, and, and Christian Veyu is an example of this, you're close enough where your parents can see you play. And I think that's a, you know, that was a, a driving factor for him, a big deal for him. And and really, I think uh, when, I mean, Duke Duke has obvious obvious advantages. Clemson has obvious advantages, but uh, Penn State had a lot, uh, lot going for it as well. And that's what ended up winning out. Once again, we'll see how it all plays out, but I, I think we're going to continue talking about Canada with Penn State recruiting efforts on an annual cycle. There'll always be at least a, a couple names to know up there, some years perhaps not as many, um, and ultimately I hope we get to a point for Canada's sake and for the young players up there that maybe don't have the resources or, or the opportunities down here in the States where there are more uh, scouts and, and, and there are more eyes on the high school programs up there. Uh, it's going to take a national effort on their part to really you know put that focus and in, in, an investment into their football programs at that level. But uh, hopefully we'll see that. I think it's a great thing for, for North America. It's a great thing for, for those players up there and it presents new opportunities for these young men. Um, you're just, we, you're just angling for another trip, aren't you? I, I'll take one. I, but first I, I want to get to new Orleans, you know, the reunion with the Penn state guys down there, the three former teammates. Once we cross off the new Orleans list, Probably need like two weeks down there to, to put together a good story. Then I'll go to Canada. You spend two weeks in New Orleans, you're going to have a problem. Um, but yeah, you just keep moving down that list that your wife wrote out for you when you gave her the, yeah. the list of prospects there. Yeah, Brock Bowers, whenever you're ready to, to make sure I can get out to Napa, you know, pull that trigger. Uh, from from Canada to shifting our focus uh, at a more local level, um, Bethlehem Liberty kicker uh, Sander Sahadak commits on Wednesday as well. Uh, you know, poor guy had about a minute and a half of, of spotlight before the quarterback commits and, and kind of steals the thunder a bit. But, you know, this is a guy you shared a video uh, pretty quickly thereafter on, on Twitter uh, showing off the, the strength. He's he's a lefty um, and he's a guy who, you know, just going through the stats last year in all eastern Pennsylvania selection as a junior, all league, all area, hit 10 of 12 field goals, had a long of 53 yards, made 21 of his 22 extra points. 34 of his 45 kickoffs went for touchbacks. Um, he's an accomplished track athlete. So uh, like Jake Pinniger, multi-sports standout. Pinniger was a, was a big-time player beyond uh, the, the kicking position on the football field and beyond the football field playing soccer as well. And most importantly, you know, when it comes to specialist rankings, I'm going to defer to someone like Cole's kicking. And they've got him as the nation's top overall kicker prospect in the class of 2021. So hats off to Joe Lorig for getting this done. And it can't be easy because so often we find out, you know, we're going to bring all these specialists to camp on, on, on one day in the summer and June or whatever, put the pressure on them in Beaver Stadium. This is what happened with Jake Pinnegar, how he earned his offer. See if we can't find a guy. Maybe we won't find a guy. Uh, didn't get to do that this year, but they, they found someone, uh, you know, in Sanders Sahedak who had some power five interest, had a couple offers and, and, and didn't wait long to, to, to accept one from Penn State. I think he got got it, what, 10, 11 days ago. A couple things here. You're, you're going to see him ranked as the number one kicker by Cole's kicking. You're probably not going to see him ranked anywhere else. What that means is he, he went to Cole's camp. He, he did kill it at Cole's camp. Um, it, that's how kicker rankings work. Uh, you know, it's, it's not the most complete uh, rundown of things because you've got guys that go to these kicking camps and these kicking camps are, are you know, they're money makers. They're not cheap to go to. So, you know, you've got guys that will easily slip under the radar. But 
at the same time. These Coles guys uh, dealt with them for a while. Um, they're right at the top in terms of knowing what they're what they're talking about. So um, it's still impressive to be number one quarterback. It just means he's one of the top, or excuse me, one, number one kicker. Just means he's one of the top kickers in the country. Uh, leg talent and all that kind of stuff. So. Kicker rankings are are a bit fickle, but that's kind of the data points that you've got. When they get to the site level rankings, I mean, let's be honest, uh, we've got former safeties, we've got former quarterbacks, we've got uh, guys that have played all over the place, don't have a ton of kickers that are evaluating. I actually uh, swapped text with uh, Sam Ficken last week to get his opinion on things. He said kid's got a lot of potential. Um, he's a lefty, which changes things more than you would think from a from a snapper to holder standpoint. Uh, the entire unit is sort of... Uh, uh, done away with by but by making him a lefty kicker but it's just so much leg talent there so much uh, leg power and drive and things like that that uh, there's a lot to like from that aspect um, a really good athlete he's got a 44 foot triple jump on 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 the record from last year which really shocked me uh, but uh, he's got some soccer background he's got uh, a really good name in that area his family's an, an athletic family so a lot to like there you mentioned uh, Penn State held its kicking camp last year, and I went to that kicking camp. And, you know, they brought in guys that were, you know, the top ranked by Coles and Corn Blue and Sailor and all that kind of stuff. And it really from a sort of a who's who of, of kicker prospects. But when you watched it, you just didn't see anything. Now, I'm accustomed to seeing the ball jump off of Blake Gilligan's foot. Uh, eventually, we saw what it looks like when it comes off of Jordan Stout's foot and Pinnegar's, you know, even though he's not the long range guy for Penn State, has pretty strong legs. So uh, you, you just, you get accustomed to seeing that. And then you see all these prospects last year and I'm like, okay, nothing really moves the needle for here, but, uh, you know, Penn State still needs to take a kicker. Well, they didn't. They instead went with Stout in the transfer route and, and waited around for a year. There were a couple of really good underclassmen there. Um, there was Sahadak. There was a kid from Tennessee who's pretty good uh, that was up last year. I believe one kid from California, if I'm remembering correctly, um, was up last year. So uh, there was a little bit more potential in those underclassmen. So they decided to go with Stout. Obviously, that worked out. Go with Stout and then move to the next class and see what they can do. There's some good specialists in the class. There's a punter down in uh, West Virginia who's also very good. Um, you thought they may go with punter, but uh, you know, you've know you got junior eligibility for Pinnegar, junior eligibility for Stout. Um, just makes sense taking the most talented one. He's in-state. That helps. So uh, you move along to that, and they, they, they made this offer. They made him um, you know feel wanted, and all of a sudden he turns around and, and makes that decision. And you and I put our crystal balls in kind of right away. It's kind of how it makes sense. I mean, obviously, you know, if he could have gotten out and to see more schools or to kick for more schools during the evaluation period, things may have been a little bit different. But, uh, you know, I like that pick when I put it in and, and it certainly came to fruition on Wednesday afternoon. So in that specialist room in 2021, Sahadak joining the group, we're expecting Pinnegar and Stout to stick around, uh, barring something unforeseen. That would give you three specialists, two of them, Stout and Pinnegar, in their final year of collegiate eligibility, and Sahadak uh, waiting in the wings to take over. Uh, for We'll see what roles, but expecting Stout to handle the punt role this year. Last year, he was the beyond 50-yard field goal specialist. Jake Pinnegar handled extra points and everything within 50 yards. And Joe Lorig mentioned what, what, kind of what you were talking about, and, and they had a long look at a lot of different specialists last year. They toyed around with the idea of, of offering a scholarship to a punter. Uh, they almost added one as, as a walk-on. With that spot, uh, you know, Lorig talked about kicker, punter, 
the importance of getting a specialist offer correct and how devastating it can be if you don't. I think you're going to write something up on this in the coming days, Sean, uh, kind of about that, that, that filling the specialist room and doing it the right way. And Lorig talked about his track record in terms of guys at, at past stops that he has offered, and they've all gotten to NFL camps. He said there hasn't been one scholarship offer that he's put out. I think he said he's 12 for 12 or 13 for 13, something of that nature. And these guys at least getting an, an opportunity to, to be in an NFL camp uh, and have their shot at the pro level. And he said at the end of the day, uh, that validates a lot because if you have too many misses, you're not going to be long for a special co- teams coordinator job and, and you're going to be hurting in crunch time and key spots in games. Well, I, I wrote this up yesterday and, and it should be on the site today. Um, it's already actually in the system, but uh, we had another quarterback commitment that kind of pushed the kicker feature story off to the side. So sorry about that. Um, but you look back at the scholarship guys that, that James Franklin has brought in and man, that was uh, that was quite a run there for the uh, for the early part of his tenure. He came in with Sam Ficken, got one year out of Sam Ficken. He had Daniel Pascarella and Chris Gulla, both walk-ons, splitting the punting duties for a couple of years until Blake Gillikin got there. Had the uh, the the commitment from Quinn Nordine. We know how, how that went. They tried to scramble and rebound with Alex Barbier. Became very apparent early during his career that that was not the answer. So they just kind of turned around. I think it was two classes later. Went and grabbed Jake Pinnock. Got I, I I just I was doing this story yesterday and I and I can't imagine what it would have looked like had they not hit on Tyler Davis. That was one of the bigger pickups that you will see. We talked about Jordan Stout last year, but getting Tyler Davis to transfer in, I think it was Butler or some uh, he was playing soccer out in the Midwest, and all of a sudden he gets in and he hits eight for eight, and then the next year he goes twenty two of twenty four with two two of those were blocked. Um, just for them to hit on, on a walk-on like that is just unbelievable. And Tyler Davis, I don't think you can overstate how important he was for that stretch, especially when they needed him. Now, uh, Barbier got there. Davis still had one more year left. So they were able to, to redshirt him and not play him right away. Then, then they go into Pinnaker for the 2018 season. So it, it's come together very nicely. And Let's say having Blake Gillikin for four years straight as uh, the, as consistent as a punter as they've had for a while that helps a lot. So um, to get that all straightened out took some time. Um, you know, it's a, a long way from from some of those guys early in the tenure. But uh, man, Tyler Davis was huge. And then moving into what they have now is to 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 be almost a juggernaut of special teams. They were awesome at field goals last year. Very good at punts, kickoffs. Were obviously at another level. Um, really, the the job that they've done to turn that whole thing around is huge. And to get uh, to continue getting that. Uh, I guess that churning out of talent like like a Sahayak, like some of these other guys. They've got Levi Forrest committed as a walk-on. Uh, he's the number six punter in the country by by one of the service, I think, Sailor. Um, so he's got a huge leg from down there from where Jordan Stout is. So um, they've, they've just done a tremendous job of, of resetting that room, getting where they need to be. I know they've had Charles Huff and then Phil Galliano and then, of course, Joe Lorig. Joe Lorig has really sort of fine-tuned all those kind of things and done a, done a phenomenal job. So from where they were at. And I know a lot of people just kind of block that from their memories and uh, no offense, you, you know, bring out names like Butterworth and, and, and Pascarello from where they're at now to from where they were. I, it's just an unbelievable turnaround. 
Yeah, and you and you look across college football any given year, and there's just some really really poor special teams play that that just dooms teams. You know, ends up handing them another loss or two, and 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 maybe the otherwise they're competing for a conference championship or you know knocking on the door of college football playoff. There's so many teams that have you know such well constructed rosters on defense and offense, and then all of a sudden they bring out the kicker, and everybody holds their breath, and and they and they you know you you're scared if they have to kick one from beyond thirty yards, and just it, there's just not enough good cooking talent and it's a go around apparently and uh, certainly it's a spot where some teams and when it comes to actually extending a scholarship and landing their guy um it's just that's the formulas do not work but so far so good for penn state and uh, joe lorick here in year two um with what he has been able to assemble so really well, quick well, i mean you, you look you look at penn state i mean their their success i mean their special teams was obviously the first two years of franklin's tenure was was really nothing to write home about then all of a sudden you get a little bit of consistency with Tyler Davis and Blake Gillikin comes in and writes the punting game. I mean, they went up, I think it was uh, three or four yards per punt, um, which doesn't sound like a lot, but from from where they were to where they were at with with Blake Gillikin, at least in 2016 as a freshman, I mean, that's, uh, you know, that, that sort of runs in parallel with what they did. Obviously, their worst season since then was the Citrus Bowl year where they lost to Kentucky as the worst special teams that they've had. So, uh, you know, you, you look at the, I guess, the track record and you track it along with special teams, and it, and it runs pretty well parallel. And along the way, you've had an all, All-American kick returner in Saquon Barkley and an All-Big Ten punt returner in DeAndre Tompkins. A punt returner last year who scared the crap out of everybody with K.J. Hamler. And uh, so across the board, uh, a lot to like about what they've done on special teams. April, I mean, Sean, we said at the top, seven new commits in 20 days. You had that run in Detroit early that, that really uh, was the springboard. Uh, Zaki Wheatley jumped on along the way there. Uh, and then, you know, it felt like every Friday, you know, we thought maybe the, that this would come on Friday. Who knows? But uh, midweek, we get two more to cap things off. And, and all of a sudden, you're looking at 10 players uh, in this class, and, and, and it's ranked 14th. And that led me to the class rankings. And, and there are now eight Big Ten programs in the top 17. There's a long way to go here. I think we both are in agreement, and I think anyone who follows recruiting is in agreement that there's going to be a big wave of decommitments when we get to reset things coming out of the coronavirus situation and maybe visits are taken and and things are rethought. I think we're going to see a lot of movement and a lot of changes in those rankings, not necessarily talking about Penn State, but you look behind Ohio State, who tops everybody and, and is really running away with this thing in the 2021 cycle. Minnesota and Iowa out of the Big Ten West currently have top 10 uh, classes, and you go all the way down to number eight in the Big Ten, which is Rutgers. They're number 17 nationally. So the Big Ten having a great showing. Penn State number 14, number six in the conference. But that is a, a major theme thus far in the recruiting cycle. And, and I think that says something considering there were not really any spring practice availabilities when we're talking about this region. There were some to the south. But up here in the north, most teams had to pump the brakes before they got going with spring ball. And we know how big spring ball is on the recruiting trail. Yeah, I mean, there's really no doubt about it. And and Penn State uh, is one of those schools that, you know, has sort of uh, picked up a wave of commitments uh, since the first. It's been it's been well, obviously, it's been feels like forever. But you've you've had certain waves of this uh, this this shutdown, and all of a sudden, um, you know, you got past the initial shock of everything, and and things were slow, and you couldn't get guys to campus, and then all of a sudden, it just starts building and building and building. You've seen that at a couple different places. You, you mentioned Iowa, 
Iowa, who's who's doing terrific right now. Thirteen commits, number uh, three in the Big Ten, um, and Minnesota, who's who's picked up some quality players as well, especially out of region. I mean, you look at uh, you look at their staffs, and and it's all about relationships with a lot of these different schools. Um, you, you do have the new new coach bump over at Rutgers, and they've taken a lot of guys. Um, and, and Maryland, of course, Mike Loxley's a, a great recruiter, and and really has done a lot to stay visible. So, I mean, you've done a, a ton of. I think you have a, a, a myriad of, of different approaches here, but in the end, it's going to come down to relationships. And that's really where a lot of these schools have, have, uh, have shown. And you look around the country and it's not your typical year. I mean, Alabama's really hasn't done a ton so far. Tennessee's all of a sudden surging in the national rankings as, as they do at points. Um, but it's, it's just a really funny year, um, to follow the trends. And, and eventually I, I do think, Excuse me. Eventually, I do think Penn State ends up, you know, usually where it's at, top three of the Big Ten, and and, and goes from there. But uh, until then, everybody's chasing Ohio State, and that's kind of where we're at. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount+. Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. No blue white game this uh, this month, but I tell you what, just like in the April's past, this month has served as as kind of a transition moment in building the the the, the class out. You see, year in year out, a couple of years ago, we saw a bunch of official visits factoring in and, and those led to a big summer at the end of the day but you know Caden Wallace coming on board a couple of years ago one of the top offensive linemen in the country that was extremely notable and and now here we are and, and again despite the lack of visits April this class blows up uh, we'll have a big rundown on this uh, entering the weekend kind of catching everybody bringing you up to speed on the new additions who's in this class what are they going to be doing when they get to Penn State what did they accomplish at the high school level but quickly focusing back in at quarterback with Christian Veyu put together a piece um, shortly after his commitment on what that 2021 quarterback room may look like with Kirk Sharaka uh, entering his second year, ideally having a spring camp at his availability. Let's remember, aside from Sean Clifford, he does not have extensive game tape to review of really anyone in this group. He's got some of Will Levis, but a lot of that was in mop-up duty. Wasn't asked to, to do much as a passer against Rutgers in the regular season finale. Certainly leaned on his legs on the road at Ohio State in the second half of that game. And then, you know, Taquan Roberson and Michael Johnson Jr., they were practice guys last year. And, and they were, you know, battling for that number three job behind the scene. And Micah Bowens has yet to get to campus. So you throw in Christian Veyu and all those names I just mentioned, it adds up to six scholarship quarterbacks potentially on the roster. Now, the caveat I threw in in the introduction of that story yesterday was highly unlikely that, that this whole thing stays together because of how things are going on at the quarterback position, not just at Penn State, but across the country. Transfers are very prevalent. 
Look back at last year. Tommy Stevens hits the exit door in April. You also have to factor in the medical stuff. Jake Zembak retired in August 2018. He was a scholarship quarterback. So a lot could change. But right now you're looking at, unless Sean Clifford delivers like a Tanner Morgan-like leap under Kirk Shiraka and is tempted to maybe take his shot in the NFL next year, he's got a long way and a lot to prove before that becomes a feasible reality. But you're looking at you know all these guys potentially being in play with Christian Veyu joining the group next year. I mean that, that there's a lot of quarterbacks in that room, and 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 what we've seen in the in college football is uh, quarterback rooms do not stay the same from year to year. So um, you know it'd be stunning if Penn State, you know that they, they they've got uh, what five on five on the roster. I guess you, you include Micah Bowens. Uh, that's a, that's a lot of quarterbacks to begin with. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that. But uh, you, you carve out your roles and you see where, where you go from there. Clifford obviously going to go in as the starter. Will Levis, uh, you find him a situational role. Does does he stick around for that? Well, you know, it remains to be seen. Uh, you got the two freshmen who, you know, are going to run parallel with each other for, for, for good or for worse. So um, and then Micah Bowen's coming in last year. I mean, it, 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 there's so many variables that can happen. Um, but I mean, it's just playing the odds here, right? I mean, college football is what it is in terms of, of quarterbacks sticking around and staying. And you look at the success that some of these quarterbacks have had transferring out and playing elsewhere. You know, it kind of makes sense. Put them all together on this list for the sake of kind of projecting ahead. But, you know, if, you know, if we're all being honest, don't think they're going to all be in that room together um, in 2021 when the season arrives. But with one, one other, you know, kind of variable in there among many variables is Michael Johnson Jr., who enrolled in January 2019 with Taquan Roberson, battled for that number three job last year. Roberson is listed in that role on the spring depth chart. But again, how much can you base off of that? Kirk Shiraka hasn't seen these guys in, in one practice under his supervision. But Michael Johnson Jr., that intriguing athleticism that he has, the 1,300 rushing yards as a senior in high school, helping lead his team to an Oregon State championship game, and then the mid 4 5 40-yard dash that, that, that we got uh, coming in to Penn State. You know, there, there's always been, and, and this goes back to, you know, his high school career, there's always been intrigue about what can he do maybe beyond the quarterback spot. So, you know, that, that's another factor there to, to kind of, you know, monitor as we move forward. There's a lot of curiosity with that group just because, you know, you, you see some potential there. And especially with Johnson, I mean, you, you've got athletic potential more so uh, than throwing potential. But if that throwing potential comes along under Kirk Shiraka, now, of course, no spring ball, just sort of. You know, it's a gut shot for those freshmen, um, but uh, no, I mean, you've got you got a lot of potential to work with there. You're just not sure what the outcome is going to be for some of those guys. I mean, you basically, I mean, that's going to be your difference between your your playoff team and your not playoff team, and you've got to get those guys ready, and you've got to you know find out what you you know, what you have as a whole, but then on the individual level, you've got to find that guy to push you through to the next level. And is that guy on the roster right now? Is that guy Christian Veyu? We, we really, it, it's it's a complete unknown. Playing around here with the 2021 quarterback outlook. How about the 2021 offensive line outlook? I bring this up because we had Phil Troutwine on a call this week, and, and it was good to catch up with him. Went over a lot of different guys. Look for content from that uh, trickling out onto the site over the course of the next few days and, and, and weeks, to be honest. And uh, Mike Mark Brennan has the entire Q&A up there, uh, the video of that, so you can get, go to the site and check it out in its entirety right now if you'd like. But a story I wrote coming out of it because I thought it was the most timely and, and poignant thing we heard was 
Juice Scruggs sounds like he would have been a full go this spring. Uh, they have him listed as the number two center right now, but uh, Troutwine made it known very clear and multiple times that he sees Scruggs as a guy who could contribute um, at each position, whether it's guard, tackle, or center. Uh, but, you know, this is huge. This is, uh, you know, 14 months or so removed from a, a suffering a serious back injury right before uh, a crucial spring camp for him back in 2019. He's only played in one game uh, to this point in his career. It was the, the Maryland regular season finale uh, while he was redshirting as a freshman. He's coming into this year as a redshirt sophomore. Certainly think he has a case to be made for a sixth year if it comes down to it. Um, but this is a guy that when you look at 2021, Michael Mennett will be gone. He's going to be a three-year starter at center when it's all said and done. And this puts Scruggs pretty well situated if he can handle the physical rigors of what awaits him and he can stick around on the depth chart on the two deep. You know, Phil Troutwine says his priority is making sure technique is there uh, in a way that is going to prevent any further harm, uh, any kind of uh, you know injury expansion on what he's already dealing with and dealt with and recovered from. But loved hearing this news about Drew Scruggs. I think people you know, tend to forget because he's been uh, out of sight, out of mind a bit. He was a dominant, dominant force at one of the top programs in Pennsylvania. Uh, James Franklin called him the best player on both sides of the ball in the 2017 state championship game. And he was the top ranked lineman on either side of the ball coming out of high school, signing with Penn State and picking them over Ohio State. So this is a big development, in my opinion, as Phil Troutwine in no uncertain terms says that uh, Juice Scruggs is looking the part and looking like he would have been uh, you know, all out in spring ball. In that building, he's always been you know, the center of the future, the interior alignment of the future. He was going to play last year had he not get, gotten hurt. He was on that same plane. They, they had him on that same plane with Rasheed Walker after his redshirt year that you know he was going to factor in, in even with Steven Gonzalez there, even with the older guys um, around there, he was going to play, potentially give you some flexibility. I don't know if that means <clears throat> excuse me. I don't know if that means minute at guard or something like that, but he, he would have got, gotten you a lot of flexibility and they felt he was ready to go last year. Um, is he a full go in spring? It's very easy to say that since we didn't have a spring, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't see a situation where they would throw just a full complement of reps at him based on his injury, based on his rehabilitation and everything like that. Now, I, I, I'm very high on Juice Scruggs. I'm, I'm very happy to see him back out there. I'm very happy to see him like listed in any capacity playing football. Um, but it's going to take a little bit of time for him to get that back. Um, for, as far as the future goes, I mean, he doesn't have to get it back right away. You've got Michael Mennett there at center. You've got Mike Miranda, who was slated to play some center uh, this spring. So you've got some options in there. They're just I- extremely high on his talent. It's just an unfortunate timing, unfortunate circumstance. Uh, but you know, he's, he seems to be better now. And by the time he steps back on a field and, you know, that's n- not necessarily making that to be this spring, but by the time he steps back on the field, he'll be close to being ready to go. And they're hopeful to get something out of him other than being a depth piece. So really excited to see where he's at coming that out of that injury, whether he can regain all that strength, whether he can regain all that movement and flex flexibility and everything that made him such a promising prospect for this staff. So really excited to see Scruggs just first and foremost back out there in general. And second, uh, they've been really high on this kid um, since he came out of his redshirt freshman year. And um, I think there's still high hopes for, for his future in blue and white. 
a notable item coming out of that conversation with Phil Troutwine. We're going to, at about two hours after this podcast uh, recording is over, we're going to get John Scott Jr., the first-year defensive line coach, for the first time. We have not spoken to him since he was hired in February. Got a lot to catch up on him with that group, uh, some some changes uh, there certainly, and, and he's still looking for his first commitment on the recruiting trail, so I'd expect the recruiting stuff to pop up in that conversation as well. Sean, you're, you're going to take a, a, a deeper dive into this month and into Christian Veiu in, in a bit with a, with another perspective coming into this conversation. But but first, before we leave it, um, I have a question for you because I got a couple yesterday. Caleb Williams, can, should we stop talking about him? Should we keep talking about him? With Christian uh, with Christian Veiu on board now and committed to this program. What does Penn State do in that situation? We know already they were on the outside looking in with Oklahoma as a heavy crystal ball favorite. How do they handle, how do they navigate that course, or is it just the same as it's always been in Caleb Williams' court? Well, I think my biggest disappointment with the timing of the VAU decision is that we didn't get to see Caleb Williams uh, essentially commit to Oklahoma or you know make a decision since we've been saying for a year, yeah, Penn State's behind, you know, I wouldn't get your hopes up. And then all of a sudden he's going to decide and go elsewhere. And it's gonna be like, oh man, what, what happened? So uh, I, I'm sorry we missed that. But yeah, I mean, you keep in contact, you keep everything up. He's a phenomenal talent. He's obviously the top quarterback in the country in, in our rankings. And, you know, I've been saying that for a long time as a personal opinion. So you keep in contact, you see what's up. It's not going to happen. I mean, I, at the chances of it happening, even without a quarterback on board, we're, we're not all that great. So I mean, you just gotta just gotta keep up with it. You know, Penn State, he's gonna cut it to three at some point. You know, you expect it to be Oklahoma, uh, Maryland, and pr- probably LSU now. Um, but uh, it, it, it's really, I think it's Oklahoma and everyone else is the way that we're looking at it. So um, it's uh, it, it's it's one that you can let go. I think uh, taking a guy like Christian Veiu, even though we have him lo- listed as, as a high three-star prospect, I've been saying for a long time, this kid's a pretty good quarterback. I think he's going to end up a four-star in our rankings and a four-star in the composite. Pretty good, uh, I don't want to call him a consolation prize, but pretty good uh, other option than, than Caleb Williams. So that'll do it for our final episode in April and what a month it was. Thanks to all of our listeners. Thanks to all of those who read our content online. Mention the different perspectives that you can get on Christian Veiu. We plan on getting more insight from uh, one of our uh, 24-7 sports analysts and uh, perhaps some others next week on what this edition means for the Nittany Lions as they continue their class-building efforts and maybe long-term for this offense. But in the meantime, Steve Wiltfong has a story up on the site about uh, this kid's journey from Canada, why it's different than the ordinary, some good perspective from his father on the journey that really started six years ago or so for him to get to this point. And additionally, Brian Doan does a great job breaking down who Christian Veiu is as a quarterback, uh, the, the the pluses, the minuses, and everything in between about what he brings to Penn State's quarterback room in 2021. Uh, for now, on behalf of Sean Fitz, thanking you for joining us on this edition of the Lions 24-7 Podcast. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.